freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Eward is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you a minute. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Salk. Hello! Oh, yes, let's go. It is a new Brock and Salk show here on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports app, podcast platform. We are everywhere, all at once. That's uh, just how powerful we are. Raw animal power of this show to come find you wherever you are and force you to listen to it. Thank you for doing so this morning. Yeah, no, we're aggressive today. I will uh, start off the show first by uh, welcoming our friend Matt. Hi, Matt. You're in today. It's nice to see you. Great to see you, too. No, Justin, for a couple more days. We're uh, kind of on the train where we're uh, just like shuffling through various people to come in and fill in and run the board. Uh, I think nobody will work with us for more than one consecutive day. So we had Brady, and then we had uh, we had David yesterday, and then Matt today, and I know somebody else is coming in tomorrow because there's no way Matt's coming in to do it again. Oh, God, no. I can't get up this early. Well, and it's around. probably my fault. <laughs> I will I will take some of the blame as I confess something this morning. I think for the first time since more we started working together last September, I didn't take a shower this morning. I'm gonna I just oh. I wanna just say it right off the bat. I didn't take a shower this morning. I had one of those I told you, I'm now I went from solo parenting from for a couple of days to now um just solo parenting the dog. It's just me and Wendell. You would think that would make it easier, but it's not. Uh, as I've mentioned before, having a an elderly Frenchie turns out to be much more challenging than anybody would have told you. Uh, so, yeah, we were up most of the night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Fell asleep at 11.15. He woke up at midnight. Uh, fell asleep again at 12.30. He woke up at 1.00. So he's yeah, now. he's he's both. Yes, he went from sleeping 23 and a half hours a day to now needing to wake up only in the middle of the night. Mm. So, yeah, anyway, I uh, I didn't get as much sleep as normal. So any anything I say today, I take no responsibility for. I have a feeling this is going to be one of those like get yourself in trouble like the Kyle Seeger days. Like, let, let's really so wait, work hard. You not haven't to showered do that or today. brushed your teeth yet. I don't want to comment on that. Um, I just I'm just well, going to not. Be near each other. We'll say that. It's not formal Friday. You want me to stay in here throughout the (laughs) day? We have a room between us, so I'm fine. (sighs) Yeah, I'm going to keep that door closed for uh, for everybody's sake. I did throw on some deodorant. I'm sure that's enough, right? You just put on a little extra deodorant and everything goes away? Uh, No? All right. Well, it's one day only. I generally try not to do this, so hopefully uh, my stench (laughs) isn't uh, permeating the area. And don't tell Bob. Whatever you do, don't tell Bob when he oh, comes yeah. in later today that I used this uh, this little space without taking a shower. It's not that I wanted to. I literally, by the time I got, was able to get myself out of bed, it was either take a shower or come to work. And I, I thought that it was best for me to, to come to work today. I appreciate that choice. All right. Okay. Uh, the genometer uh, is starting to tilt again towards the going to be in Seattle. I'll, I'll admit, I, I was down to, what did I say, 45%. Couple days ago, every time I go through the logic of it, I keep drifting down towards you know lower and lower chances. And then every time Gino says anything, I keep like drifting back up towards yeah, he's going to be here next year. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with all the national folks who are just like totally convinced that he's going to be back in Seattle. And more, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you keep noting that nobody is predicting him to go anywhere else. It's not even that. They're not even like mentioning another possibility 
where Geno yeah, Smith like could heard, end up. Oh, Jimmy Garoppolo might be a fit for Atlanta. Like, I haven't even heard him mentioned as a match for like, a team, Like, really. as if nobody else I is mean, even Dave thinking Canale about it. Dave going to Tampa is the only reason people have mentioned maybe there. And, and, and it seems like the only people who have mentioned it are here. In Seattle, where people are like kind of at least True. wondering about it. So I don't know whether that's the market for Gino. I don't know if that's people being quiet. I don't know if his agent is not doing, you know, a good enough job of making it seem like there's a market for him. Um, but yeah, even even the Tampa situation. So what's this guy's name? Greg uh, Oman was on um, Wyman and Bob yesterday talking about whether or not there's a chance Gino comes to Tampa. And it doesn't sound great. I really don't think so. Again, they're they're fifty five million over the cap. So to add a thirty million dollar quarterback, there there are guys he likes here, there's guys he knows here, but I had talked to Gino at the Pro Bowl in Vegas and he made it seem like things were very close. So I, I don't think losing his quarterback's coach would be that big of a, a difference maker that it would change where he wants to play. I think- yeah, I don't think it would change where he wants to play. It's a matter of if they can't agree on money, is it a you know an avenue for him to go somewhere else? And you know nobody seems to feel like that's the the likely possibility. And just based on how much more accurate the national folks were last year, right, in thinking that Gino was in thinking that Russ was was potentially getting traded, I'll admit, yeah, that has an effect on me. And then Brady Henderson, who I you know talk to often, says he really believes Gino's going to be back. So. Yeah, all right, I get it, and and certainly there was a moment yesterday uh, that continues to push in that direction. So, uh, Gino, very excited for um, who is he excited for? What's this guy's name? Fad Lewis, the great Fad Lewis, uh, who became the Bucks quarterback coach under Dave Canales. I remember and, him with the Bills for a minute there. That sounds kind of familiar. Yeah. So he says, "My boy Thad Lewis got the Bucks quarterback coach job, bro. That's crazy." So happy for the progress of everyone in our camp. I was a freshman in high school, starting quarterback on varsity, and went to watch HML versus Northwestern, and Thad was quarterback at HML. Three years ago, we spoke this up. All right, so he seems excited for him. And Bob Condota says, wow, that's an interesting reaction. And Gino uh, comes back at him sort of with a retweet and says, no, nothing interesting about it besides my real friend getting a job he's been working for and me being proud of him. Thad's the all-time passing leader in Duke football history. Always told me, gee, you're going to show him. Proud of my dog. So I, I don't know. Then he goes on to say he's proud of the speculation. And I'm just arrogant enough to think he's talking about me. So I don't know. Maybe I should shut my mouth. And maybe this has nothing to do with me. And maybe I'm just an idiot. Yeah, I don't the, know. The speculation, I think, is mostly because people want to see him stay here. I think a lot of people here locally are trying to figure out if he's staying or not. So he should take it as a compliment. Yeah, he says people on the outside looking in should simply observe. Creating narratives for clicks, I get it and all, but everything isn't a story. Well, I I don't think that, like, if he's saying that people on the outside, like in media, should just be quiet and observe it, I mean, that's probably not what's going to happen. That's quite literally the opposite of the job of people in media. I mean, like, I think he knows that at his core. But whatever. He's perfectly entitled to feel that way. And it's not just about clicks. Like, it's, it's, it's honest to goodness speculation until a deal gets done. There's a question mark. When a f- football team doesn't have a quarterback, everyone is going to wonder of, what's happening. Of course, that's just, I, I mean I that's mean, just the what natural. Else do we have to talk about right now. That's the that's the nature of the business, and it is up to us to try to figure out what we think the Seahawks should do, what they're going to do, right, and then try to figure out how much Geno truly wants. You know, again, when we hear that Geno wants forty. And I'll point out that, you know, even the the reporter there from Tampa Bay, what did he say? 
a $30 million quarterback, right? So, you know, that's where this starts to get tricky. It's not a story, and nobody thinks it is until that 40 number gets out there, like it did yesterday with Daniel Jones, right, where all of a sudden it comes out that Daniel Jones wants, what was it, $45 million a year? Well, if Daniel Jones gets $45 million a year, all of a sudden the Seahawks have different conversation about Gino, who says, uh, I beat that guy straight up last year and was better. No way, no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm just a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. If he gets $45 million, well, the Seahawks may be at an impasse because they should not give Gino $45 million. Now, to be fair, they could say he's 25 years old and you're, what, 32? They could, but if he says, I don't care, I'm better than him. That's what I want. That's yeah. my market. What are the Seahawks going to do? Pay him 45 a year? I don't see any way that that's the, the logical like decision. 40 was probably around his him and his agent's starting point, and then you negotiate maybe to 30 with incentives. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But, yeah, you're right. If, if some di- bigger deals start getting made, then it's going to get complicated. I, that's why they probably should do this as soon as possible for the Seahawks. But if you're Gino and you want to see what that market is and you want to see what the market for yourself is, right? So every time you think like, Oh, this should be easy. They should just get it done. It's easy to talk yourself right back into why it hasn't been done yet and why that still may be complicated and why there's opportunities for this thing to blow up because, because if Gino has a, has an expectation that is not in the same range as what the Seahawks are willing to pay a quarterback. Well, now you've got a real conversation on your hands, which is why we keep coming back to it. So, so wait, I don't know who's your meter to. at currently. I, you know, at the beginning of my conversation, it was back up around fifty-five percent. So I'll, it's I'll, changed since the beginning of the conversation. Well, then I started talking myself back into why it hasn't worked yet. Now I'll go. I'm a back above fifty. I'll even say sixty. Okay. I'll say it's, it's up to sixty percent this morning in the constantly changing genometer of whether or not he resigns here in Seattle. Uh, yeah, it was down to about forty-five last week, and now sort of ticked and edged back up over the last couple days so that now we're uh, we're back up at 60% now that Gino signs here in Seattle. But we'll see. It's constantly in flux. Could I'm going cha- to I'm have to find a sound effect for yeah. your the, ever-wavering meter. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, like a Wheel of Fortune or something like that where it just keeps ticking like. just a little bit. You're waiting to see if it just pops over the edge to bankrupt. That's probably where I end up when it's all said and done. All right. Uh, coming up, we'll give you everything you need to know. The Seahawks did sign two players yesterday off their roster, neither of whom play quarterback. But we'll tell you who they are and what it means next. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it's great to have the 75 different Mariners working out yesterday as the full squad together for the first time this spring. Yes, that's a big number. The largest big league camp since Jerry and Scott took over this program, what, eight years ago? Which is interesting, right? I think it shows there's very few open spots. But also there's going to be a WBC year and there's also a team coming off the playoffs. So you kind of put all those things together and you end up with 75 guys together. The talk of camp, though, yesterday, two of my favorite players, one Matt Brash and two Luis Castillo. The former threw a bullpen in which apparently J.P. Crawford was so befuddled that he asked afterwards what pitch he had just been thrown. Yeah, that's how good Matt Brash actually can be when he's just flashing his raw stuff. And then Castillo certainly looked and sounded confident and comfortable in meeting with the press yesterday. Just another reminder of how he is such a difference maker for this team. So, yeah, 
I think confidence should be incredibly high. Tom Verducci joined me yesterday, said he's pretty well in on what he sees with the Mariners. I am. I, I like the way they play baseball. I like the fact that they're a little more balanced this year um, offensively. You know, the, you always have to like their pitching, right? I mean, they're sort of like the Rays. They figure out a way to pitch where they love um, guys who throw from extreme arm angles. Uh, especially the lower angle, pitching high in the zone. They spin the ball really well. So I don't worry about them pitching. The rotation is just rock solid, as good as, as whatever is out there. Um, I thought they were short offensively last year. It's amazing they won 90. But, uh, again, they found a way to win a lot of these close games. So to have a little bit more margin of error and push that number above 90, it's going to take a, a much better offense. Like I'm not talking about a three or four you know, uh, best in the league type offense, but a little better than middle of the pack offense. I think they have that this year. Well, if that can be true, and certainly he wrote about Jared Kelnick, that could push that over the top. It would certainly push this team into a completely different conversation given the pitching that they have. Uh, I think everyone was excited yesterday, and you kind of felt that presence of, of where they've been and where they now know they can go throughout the entirety of the conversations that came to us. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, the Seahawks are open for business. They're getting deals done for some of their pending free agents, but not exactly the biggest name. So yesterday, they reportedly signed guard Phil Haynes to a one-year deal worth some $4 million. Throw in another million in incentives. That likely spells the end for veteran Gabe Jackson. Cutting him could save them over $6 million, and I think everybody kind of assumed that would happen. They were already rotating last year at guard. Do I like the move? Yeah, it's all right. I mean, Phil Haynes is a huge, huge human being. There's no doubt about that. He's a big people mover, which is great. And it sounds like reasonable money. But isn't the goal to get better on the interior of your offensive line? Does bringing back the same people help you get better? If you believe that there's more in him and he can continue to improve as he has throughout his career, then great. But if not, then, you know, I'd like to see them make sure that they're improving, not just maintaining where they were a year ago in a place that seemed to be a bit of a weakness. They also re-upped yesterday with special teams ace Nick Ballore, who, of course, brings all kinds of versatility at fullback and linebacker, plus his leadership and everything he does in the kicking game. Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, mock draft season well underway. We got a doozy from NFL.com's Daniel Jeremiah yesterday. He has Will Anderson Jr. slipping to number five because, in his view, the Cardinals could fall in love with Tyree Wilson. We spoke to ESPN's Matt Miller yesterday, and actually, he said that's not out of the realm of possibility. I think he's going to crush it at the combine, and you know, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot like last year where we all thought Aiden Hutchinson was like the dude, right? Like he's going to go first, he's going to go first. And then it ends up being Trevon Walker, in large part because of what he did at the Combine. So I think with, with Tyree Wilson, with Miles Murphy, those are, are guys that Will Anderson should be a little bit nervous about how well they're going to perform. Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, you're going to hear more from uh, Matt Miller coming up here in about 10 minutes, and he had a lot to say about the Seahawks. Obviously, that would be a dream scenario. If you could get the player that most believed to be the top pick in this draft and the most talented guy available at number five, I don't know that that would be any better, especially given that he plays a premier position and it's one that's of extreme need for your team. Yeah, sign me up for that. Uh, Both Miller and uh, Jeremiah have the Seahawks taking the same player at number 20, and that's receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba. So that's kind of interesting that people see that as a mix. It'd be hard for me because I really like the player. I think he's great, and I do think they need another wide receiver, especially given the lack of depth they have behind DK and Lockett. Can you imagine if one of those two guys gets hurt, what you're left with at at wide receiver? But at 20? I believe 
words you told me last week were to I know. punch you in the face. That's why I said. You started at, considering at twenty, it, it's just too hard for me to justify when this defense has so many needs. I, they do need more help at receiver. I don't think you can spend that kind of resource on it. There you go. That's everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the New Brock and Salk Show. No Kraken tonight. They don't play till tomorrow uh, as they gear up for a rematch against the Bruins. Best game they've played all year was in Boston when they took down the Bruins and played basically a perfect hockey game for 60 minutes. I mean, that is, they were so defensively responsible in that game. Uh, and it, it showed, right? They kept a, a high-flying attack essentially from doing much of anything. And it was, in, you know, at that point, Martin Jones was their number one goalie and really playing well. I think now I would certainly expect Philip Grubauer to be in net tomorrow. He's been the better goalie for the better part of the last month. And so, you know, things are a little bit different. You know, they're missing their top scorer and their Burkowski, who's who's gone out. But, you know, this is a type of game where you get to continue to test yourself and show where you're at, right? Yeah, you lost one to San Jose, and I guess we can kind of chalk that up, hopefully, to just being a trap game, right? You're thinking about what's ahead. I don't like that, but if that's what happened, okay, fine. At least then you can sort of justify it. Come out flying. and Come out and, and show at home that you can play with the best in the league, not just once, which looks sort of fluky if you can't do it a second time, but do it twice, and then, you know, continue to push your general manager to make a move to help your team. Because if you falter, if you show that, you, you know, you lose 6 nothing to Boston, and then all of a sudden you teeter a little bit over the course of the next week or two, if I'm Ron Francis, I'm going, I'm not wasting the future to, to invest in this team. But if you can show that you can play, not you don't even have to win the game. Be with them. Be right there with them. Show that one addition could put you over the top. Well, now you force his hand. You force him to continue to invest in this season, which I think is, is, again, it's up to the players to show the GM that that's where they're at. All right. Coming up next, uh, we're going to talk a lot of draft today. Matt Miller joined me to discuss what the Seahawks should do at five, what they have at 20, what this draft looks like in general, and what the quarterback spot looks like. He brings up a name that when I heard it, I got to tell you, his description made me kind of fall in love. And now I've got like a, a, a big circle around this guy, especially on day two of the draft. So stick around. You'll want to hear it. It's coming up next on Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Had an opportunity to speak this morning with Tom Verducci from Sports Illustrated. Uh, talking to Jared Kelnick with him. We'll play some of the most important things we heard coming up at 930 an hour from now. Uh, but as we get ever closer to the NFL draft, excited to talk to our buddy Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst at NFL draft scout on Twitter. And uh, one of my favorites to talk draft with his recent mock draft is out. I uh, tweeted it out last night. You should read it. It's two rounds and it's got four very interesting picks for the Seahawks. So Matt, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. It's good to hear from you again. Absolutely. So let me walk through this a little bit and uh, we'll start with the, that number five pick because I'm going to put you in the category of the most common of all the mocks I've seen. The one thing that seems to be most standard is the Seahawks going with Tyree Wilson at number five. Do you think that's the direction they end up? I think right now, you know, I mean, pre-combine, pre-free agency, um, I feel really comfortable with that. I think you look at you know, the way this front office has operated in the past, I think you can look at which positions are, are premium positions that you really need to build a team around. 
and the way this draft class is stacked. You know, there's not a left tackle. You're going to draft in the top five. Obviously, Seattle has a good one in Charles Cross. He got in the top ten last year. There's not a wide receiver. You're going to draft in the top five. There's probably not going to be a quarterback if Geno Smith comes back. So I think you look at, okay, what's left? So the need and the value and the positional value, it all lines up. You know, Tyree Wilson's a special, special player. Uh, I think he's going to crush it at the combine. And, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot like last year where we all thought Aiden Hutchinson was like the dude, right? Like he's going to go first, he's going to go first. And then it ends up being Trevon Walker in large part because of what he did at the combine. So I think with, with Tyree Wilson, with Miles Murphy, those are, are guys that Will Anderson should be a little bit nervous about how well they're going to perform. Hmm. Is there a significant gap between the two defensive players, Carter and Anderson, and then Tyree Wilson? I I think so. Mostly, I think it's what they were asked to do and then how they were tested. So Jalen Carter at Georgia, Will Anderson at Alabama, I mean, you're going against the best of the best every week. At Texas Tech, you know, the Big 12 is not necessarily known for putting offensive tackles into the NFL. Um, so I think... Tyree, it's more of you have to have a little bit of an imagination of, okay, the length is there, the power is there, the first step quickness is fantastic, but, like, who is he doing it against? And so I think that's where you, again, you have to have that, you know, vision for how you're going to use him. I think with Will Anderson, we saw over the last two years, just absolute domination against, you know, SEC offensive linemen, against, and then in the college football playoffs. Same for Jalen Carter, while, you know, was hurt this year, you know, he had the sprained ankle, then he had the knee. When he was healthy, he was unstoppable. And you go back to last year, 2021, and a defense that had four or five first-round picks, and he was the best one. You know, he was the best player on that team. So I think that that's where with those guys, you probably feel a little bit safer about them as prospects. Mm. So what um, what do you do? If they go both in the top two or the top four, let's say, rather, and, you know, just like your, your mock draft where – Young, Levis, Anderson, Carter are all gone. You get to to number four or to number five, rather. Do you take Tyree or do you trade out if you're the Seahawks at that point for somebody who would like to come down and try to get another quarterback? I think you have to keep the phone lines open. You know, this isn't like when Dave Gettleman was the GM of the Giants and was like, we're taking Saquon at two no matter what, right? You have to. You got to keep that phone open because, you know, if it is a team like the Raiders that wants to come up, you know, two spots from seven to five and they're, you know, Hey, we're going to draft the quarterback. We got to come up to five. Then I think you can move out or, you know, the Carolina Panthers at nine is probably as far as I would want to go because then you feel like you're still getting a Tyree Wilson, maybe Tyree Wilson, maybe miles Murphy. They're still in range there. Uh, I'm not one of those people that believes you should get out of the top 10 this year. I don't think the draft is deep enough to trade back that far. So if somebody, if you knew somebody was coming up for one of those quarterbacks, I think you could slide back a little bit. Otherwise, you draft Tyree Wilson and feel really, really good about you know having a, I think a frontline pass rusher that you can kind of build that defensive line around. What are the chances that somebody, you know, the three quarterbacks go in the top four, and you do have a chance at either Carter or Anderson? Yeah, I think I, I definitely think that's a possibility. Especially, you know, we got to see what happens with the trades a little bit. I think that's going to be wild this year. But, I mean, sure, we could see Chicago trade out. There's a quarterback. Houston is, is most likely going to take a quarterback. If Indianapolis at four is not the team that trades up to one, you could very realistically have three quarterbacks in the top four picks, and then you're in a fantastic position because you have either Will Anderson or Jalen Carter at five, which is, I think, a dream scenario. And then you 
you just take the best one and, and you've got your guy. Yeah, that would be. I mean, I think that's what everyone here is hoping happens, right? I think everyone is hoping mm-hmm. that one of those two guys is available. Certainly I am. If not, what does it cost to move up from five to four? Yeah, I think probably not much. It depends on who has the pick. I think that's the thing. So, you know, if Indianapolis is sitting there at four, they're not trading because they're drafting a quarterback. If Chicago has gone from pick number one to pick number four, and you're like, hey, you know, we want to we want to swap spots, it it might not be as expensive. I don't think you're looking at a future first round pick situation uh, because you're you're not moving up that far, and you're not moving up for a, for a quarterback most likely. That always is what changes the cost of everything. Is if you're trading up to get a quarterback, you know, the Jets moved up several years ago to get Sam Darnold at three, you know, that, that got costly because everybody knew they were coming to get a quarterback or you, I think with a, a spot like that, you could almost look at the, you know, the Mitchell Trubisky trade in 2017 where the, the bears went from three to two and it, it didn't cost the future first. It was, you know, a couple, I think a second round pick, a third round pick, so it's, it's certainly possible, but it, it all depends on the player who's there, really. I noticed that you have Levis pretty significantly ahead of uh, of C.J. Stroud. Is that your opinion, or is that what you think NFL teams are going to think? Yeah, that is not my opinion. That is more what I think teams will do. Uh, I, I think you know we're going to find out so much in Indy next week when it gets to like the medicals and the interviews and stuff, but... I remain bullish on the fact that NFL teams overthink this every year. You know, it's the reason Zach Wilson goes ahead of Justin Fields. It's let's overthink, you know, the, the boom plays. Let's overthink the arm strength. Let's over, you know, overthink the one year wonders instead of like, Hey, who is really good the last two to three years at playing quarterback in college football at a, a high level program that played against high level competitors. But it, instead, you know, we all, we, and I, I fall victim to it myself overthink it. And so I think, Will Levis is a talented young man. Uh, everything I've heard is that he's a you know, fantastic leader. He's incredibly intelligent. He's tough. But, you know, his accuracy is, is an issue for me. <laughs> and a guy who, you know, he throws the ball, you have no idea where it's going to go. That scares me. Um, now, I do, I understand the upside and the intrigue of, and maybe we can clean that up and fix it up. But I don't see he or, you know, Anthony Richardson of Florida as being guys that they're ready to go out there right away and, you know, be like Justin Herbert was, you know, as a rookie where you're like, oh, okay, yeah. Or, or Joe Burrow, you know, before he got hurt, where you see that they're automatically ready to play at that level. I think Levis and, and Richardson are both guys you're going to have to learn and grow with when they're on the field. Yeah, it's interesting. We're talking to Matt Miller, uh, who covers the draft for ESPN, has a great mock draft out two rounds. And I want to talk to you about the second round actually coming up here in a few minutes. But um, it, it, it sort of dawns on me that Josh Allen has maybe – uh, changed some of that, maybe not for the good, right? This is a guy who came out of nowhere, right? Wasn't at a big time program, did not have any of the accuracy at all, but was big and strong and physical and could run. And it feels like now everyone's pointing at the fact that he seemed to become more accurate over time and says, okay, well, maybe that can be Richardson. Maybe that can be Levis, et cetera. I wonder right. if he ends up really benefiting a lot of those guys, just as Russell Wilson did for some of the shorter, more mobile quarterbacks backs after he had success in the NFL. Oh yeah. I mean, I think you can go back even before that, you know, Cam Newton being a one-year starter at Auburn and, and, you know, changing the game. Uh, I think, you know, there've been guys like, you know, Zach Wilson was, you know, really a one-year wonder at BYU. Trey Lance played one year at, at NDSU. So I think there is that idea of let's take the trait based guy 
who has a lot of promise and potential, and we can we can kind of clean him up. You know, I I evaluated Josh in person multiple times while he was at Wyoming, and I, I think the the key there is he knew that he had work to do. You know, and and that will be the the you know the I think crucial interview point with these guys, all these quarterbacks is, you know, none of them are perfect. What and you're going to have to find out are they going to be willing to you know, do what Josh did, which was basically move in with Jordan Palmer in Southern California and relearn how to play quarterback, starting with his, his footwork. And I, I think for Richardson and Levis, you look at their accuracy issues, like that's where it all starts is at the base. So it's finding out, are you going to put that work in? You know, you hear stories about guys who, you know, whether it be Carson Wentz or Kyler Murray or Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, maybe at this point in their careers, just don't, don't have that drive anymore, that, that push to be great. I think that's what you got to find out is, you know, do these guys all have that, that are they wired, you know, to where when they're (laughs) millionaires on Thursday night, are they going to want to push to be great or they, they kind of content. So that's, that's the hard part of the job, right? Is you can look at Will Levis and say, yeah, kind of looks like Josh Allen did, but it also kind of looks like Carson Wentz did. And that, that kind of crashed and burned pretty quickly. So that's, that's why it's, it's so incredibly tough to find that guy. What about uh, what about Hendon Hooker? I noticed that you had the Seahawks taking him with the second of their two second round picks in your latest mock. Uh, he's old for you know a college kid; he's twenty five years old or whatever. But why Hendon Hooker? Yeah, so I like Hendon Hooker, and I I may be an outlier here. I haven't talked to a lot of uh, NFL people about him because he is older; he's twenty five. He is coming off a knee injury, so he's not a guy that that you know gets talked about a lot, but. I look at what he did at Tennessee the last two years, and he is a fantastic deep ball thrower. He moves very well in the pocket. He's, he does not turn the ball over. He threw 58 touchdowns to five interceptions. And in a vertical tempo offense, that's not like being, you know, throwing check downs and screens. That is a tacking down the field. And, you know, he did it with, you know, his number one receiver, Cedric Tillman, goes down. Well, boop, here comes Jalen Hyatt. And then there's Brew McCoy. And, like, he, he spread the ball around so well. That I wouldn't be surprised if you know he might be he might be 26 years old when it happens, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hendon Hooker starts in the NFL just because he, he he's I mean, he's accurate, he understands leverage, and he understands timing, and you know he sets these guys up to make plays after the catch. I think you know if he were if he were 22 and healthy, I think we'd be talking about a first round quarterback instead of a second or third round guy. You know, it's funny I, I hear you with that description of him, and that sounds like a Pete Carroll quarterback, right? Doesn't turn the ball over and throws right. the ball deep exceedingly well. I don't know if it sounds like a Shane Waldron Rams Sean McVay scheme quarterback, though, where it seems like some of those mid range throws are a whole lot more important. Yeah, I think it's more. I think he's capable of that. What's exciting to me is the, is the deep ball, you know. So it is that, you know, not turning the ball over while being aggressive down the field. But I, I think you can look at some of the things they did early this past year with the the yards after catch stuff when it was, you know, going to players like Cedric Tillman, when it was going to Bruce McCoy, and you know, when they they got the run game going, it was a little bit more timing based. But uh, you know, I don't know that he's you know that dissimilar from Geno Smith. Who I know Geno doesn't have the strongest arm but he throws a beauty as far as the deep ball goes. You know, he has that nice arc on it. He knows how to layer it in. I think, I think Hendon's very similar in that, you know, and also a guy who's not super big, but just tough and smart in the pocket. <laughs> so 
Um, you know, we'll see what happens with your quarterback depth chart there is, is empty as of right now, you know, until some guys get re-signed. But uh, that is the type of player, from what I've heard, that you would you want that in your locker room as well. You is know, he, he's just a really, really good leader. Everybody loved him. Is he your fifth quarterback off the board? I, I forgot. Did you have Richardson ahead of him? I had Richardson ahead of him. Uh, so he's my fifth quarterback. He's a tough year, Mike, for quarterbacks. It really is like... I can't get excited about Tanner McKee coming out of Stanford. <laughs> that offense was not fun to watch, but, you know, there's there's just not a lot of pop on the tape there. And I think otherwise, you know, you're starting to look at, at guys who are mid to late day three and mostly project as, as good NFL backups. Richardson is what for you? I mean, he, he's the other name we've sort of tossed around here as, you know, maybe at the 20 pick, maybe in the second round. What do you make of Richardson? Yeah. I, the tools are rare. I, I could probably count on one hand over the past 15 years, quarterbacks I've seen who just have his rare ability. You know, he's 6'4", 230. He's outrunning people. He has he has the biggest arm in the draft class. But, you know, he's just – you never know what, where the ball's going. It's, you know, he was not good under pressure. He started 13 games. He's thrown under 400 passes. You know, his touchdown to interception ratio was, was like 24 to 15 it's just you haven't seen enough. And so I think with him is you're truly drafting a work in progress. So for me, I have him graded as a like number 29 overall, something like that, 25 to 29 overall. And I see it as like a guy who's like, okay, he has a lot of work to do. If you draft him in the top 10 or 15, which is very possible, but if you draft him that early, he's expected to be something. You know, he's expected to be your quarterback in the future pretty quickly. I think if you draft him in the late half, you know, it's a Jordan Love situation where it's like, okay, we know this guy needs time to sit and wait. So in that, I think, yes, Seattle would be a fantastic spot for him because at pick 20, you're not being expected to come in and unseat anybody. But it's also nice insurance in case this Mm -hmm. year was, you know, a genie in a bottle year for Geno Smith. And if not, you know, Geno's a little bit, you know, a bit older. He's a veteran at this point having someone learn behind a quarterback who's going to turn 33 this season is not the worst thing. If you're a Seahawks fan uh, getting ready to watch the combine, which is what next week or whenever it is, uh, what are next you, week? Yeah. yeah, Next week. All right. So if you're a C, if, if, what advice would you give to a Seahawks fan watching the combine? Who should they be paying some attention to there? Yeah, I think we go back to the defensive ends. You know, miles Murphy from Clemson is going to put on a show. He's, 275 and he's going to run in the high four fives. He's going to jump over 35 inches. He's going to rep out 225, probably like 25 or 30 times. Tyree Wilson is another guy. I mean, he's going to have a fantastic combine. You can just see watching them move you know, how athletically gifted they are. So I think those are, are probably the two guys. If you're looking at, Hey, who do we take at five? Those are our two players. They're ranked six and seven overall for me. They're going to be there like you and I were talking about. So I, I think that's where I would spend a lot of my attention is watching the defensive ends work out. And then, you know, I always love watching the wide receivers because you can never have enough of them in this day and age. And, you know, watching those those go routes, watching the, the way they track the ball, seeing the explosion and the speed and the body control. That's all pretty exciting for me. I saw that you actually, and I'll just end there maybe and talk for a moment about Jackson Smith and Jigba, who you had uh, the Seahawks taken at number 20. Personally, I'd kind of like to see them trade out of 20, maybe even for an established NFL player. I just, I keep coming back to the fact that AJ Brown went for number 18 and some other stuff last year and saying, not that I want them to trade for another wide receiver, but you know, is that a spot you could get another defensive end or a defensive tackle who could be a difference maker by trading away the number 20 pick? But if it doesn't happen that way, 
and they do end up with someone like Smith and Jigba, what kind of a weapon would he be for an NFL team like the Seahawks with their offense? I think, you know, best case scenario, it's CeeDee Lamb, you know, type of type of player, you know, Keenan Allen, somebody who just makes things easy for your quarterback with how great of a route runner he is, you know, his understanding of, of how to get open. I, I, lo- I think he's the best receiver in the draft, number one. It, it sucks that, you know, he had the hamstring injury and we didn't see him play last year. But I remember the Rose Bowl against Utah where he had mm-hmm. like 370 yards and just could not be stopped. And, you know, he's six foot, 200 pounds. So he's not the biggest guy, but he plays big and he, he plays physically. And he also has speed. And man, I just don't know that I'm willing to bet against Ohio state wide receivers right now, either. <laughs> this track record is pretty dang good of, of guys coming out of Ohio state, that Brian Hartline is developing. So I, I do think, you know, he would be obviously, you know, the depth chart there is, is good. You have, you know, very good players in DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, um, but I think he slots in, you know, he can play on the inside and be that number three receiver that eventually becomes your number two or your number one, even great stuff, Matt. I really appreciate it. Uh, for those who, uh, haven't uh, become acquainted yet with Matt Miller, uh, really worth your time focusing here in the NFL draft, uh, at NFL draft scout, and you can read him at ESPN.com. Go see that mock draft. Hey man, we appreciate it. Thank you. Let's talk again as we get close. Yeah, man, let's do it. Thanks. I really enjoy him. I think Matt does a good job and, and knows the stuff and, and uh, you know, has kind of a good opinion and, and thought process on what he sees with some of the young players. But, you know, I, 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 I will admit kind of intrigued by the name Hendon Hooker. Right. I, I mean, I, I haven't watched him play a lot. Transfer. He's a little bit older. I know he gets sort of dinged for that. Had an injury last year and that sort of, you know, or, or in his past as well. And those things are going to sort of you know, ding him again. So he's not going to be a first round pick in all likelihood. But if you're the Seahawks, you have to draft a quarterback this year. All right. I get it. I thought you kind of should have last year, right? Maybe not in the first round. Okay, fine. But was there room to draft somebody at some point? I I would have liked them to, but you know what? They crushed the draft to such an extent that I'm certainly not sitting here in any way. Right, looking at it now and, and criticizing the draft they just had. It was all but perfect. And last year's draft class was renowned for being just terrible. Okay, fine. You didn't like any of the players in that? Fine. But in a post-Russell Wilson era, regardless of what you think of Geno Smith, and we're going to talk a lot more about him here in the next 15 minutes, regardless of what you think of Geno, you have to develop and draft that next person. I don't know whether you can bank in any way on Geno being more than the next couple of years here in Seattle. Maybe he pulls that off. And by the way, maybe he surprises you and he ends up going on to a five, seven year career here that, that blows everybody away and he wins three championships. That would be amazing. I'm here for it. But you got to protect against that because that's a tough bet to make. And I don't want to see them use either of their first round picks on a quarterback. I certainly don't want to see number five and even number 20. I think your defensive needs are so great that it'd be really hard for me to justify not going defense on both of those two picks. But you got two picks in the second one and the third. Certainly somewhere in there is a quarterback who's got some of the skills that you need. And when Pete Carroll, you know, we know what Pete likes in a quarterback. We know he wants him to be able to chuck deep. We know, you know, those shot plays are important to him. We know how important the ball is and that you can't turn the ball over and maybe a little bit of it factor. Well, it sounds like Hendon Hooker's got all of that. 
And as as we just heard from Matt Miller, he has all of that in an offense that's not necessarily suited to it. Did all of that in more of a vertical kind of an offense. All right. Well, I'm certainly here for that conversation. Who isn't? Right? I mean, we love you, the touchdown to interception ratio. No kidding. I mean, that's right up Pete's alley. So I, I don't know whether the Seahawks like him or not, but certainly that's a name that I'm going to be following uh, the day two in, in April because that is a need position for the Seahawks. It might not be their number one need, certainly not if they end up re-signing Geno, but it is a need, and it's certainly worthy of a, of a second-round pick given that you've got two of them. I think you owe it to yourself, especially if you're not re-signing Drew Locke. Now, if you re-sign Drew Locke, and we had some of that conversation with Brady Henderson yesterday, if you re-sign Drew Locke, well, maybe then it's different, right? Then you're saying, all right, we're already developing our young quarterback. Brady said that market's going to be, what, he say two, maybe $3 million for Drew Locke? I, they would maybe try, but if I'm Locke, I'm, I'm waiting to make sure that deal gets done because I want to make sure, you know, Seattle would be, if, if Geno's gone, then Seattle is the ideal spot for Locke playing in an offense that he knows playing uh, for an organization that he likes, so... May, they might try, but if I'm Locke, I'm going to wait to make sure that that deal's done before I sign elsewhere. Yeah, so I, I agree. If I'm Drew Locke, I want to try to stay here in Seattle at, at all, if at all possible. And um, well, he would... says he wants to play, but I think the only area he might have a chance to do that is is Tampa. Like, he might be able to fight for a quarterback job there, and, and they don't have much money to spend, so maybe Dave Canales gives him a shot. And maybe that's going to happen. But if not, yeah, this is the best scenario for him. And if you do end up bringing back Drew Locke and Geno Smith, which I know they would love to be able to do, well, at that point, then, no, you're you're maybe not drafting a quarterback. You're viewing Drew Locke as your drafted quarterback because he's younger, because there's still something you're developing and, and hoping catches on for the future. But... As of right now, that is a need position for me. And whether it's Anthony Richardson or Hendon Hooker or whomever it is, I I would like that quarterback to be able to do those things that we just heard from Matt Miller and be able to run around a little bit as well. And you heard that he's mobile in the pocket. That doesn't mean he's a running quarterback, but at least he's mobile. He's 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 escapable. I just the idea of a statue back there in in 2023 and beyond just doesn't do it for me. Daniel Jeremiah comped him to Sam Bradford, which. Ooh. It's hard not to have the images of how Sam Bradford turned out, but right. I guess you have to look at what, what he, he was, was projected to be. to be. Yeah, he said Hooker is calm, decisive, and accurate. I mean, those things are definitely Geno Smith-like, yeah. right? I mean, that that sounds like a younger version of Geno Smith, and if that's the direction they want to go, it works for me. I, I, I'd probably, the only, yeah, I would like to see them have somebody with a little bit more running ability, but I'm not going to sit there and knock him. I haven't watched enough of him to, to start. I'm not a fi- I'm not an aficionado yet on Hendon Hooker. <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm just intrigued. All right, what do you do with Gino? I've been thinking about this thing since yesterday. You got five categories of quarter of teams and how they're dealing with quarterbacks, and somehow the Seahawks managed to not fit into any of them. That's next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on seven ten and SeattleSports.com.